The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And welcome to another edition of Winning Ponies. Glad you joined us. Have some top guests, two new ones uh, today. The first one was a gentleman who 45 years ago crossed the finish line first on the first Saturday in May in the Kentucky Derby aboard a horse by the name of Dust Commander. His name is Mike Manganello. And while he's known for that great performance, he has won his fair share of top races over the years. And now he's taken his expertise in the saddle, and he's moved it up to the steward stand, where currently he is a steward at Cincinnati's Belterra Park. And after Mike, we're going to break down the races at Pimlico. Of course, this is Preakness weekend, but the action starts wholeheartedly on Friday with the Black-Eyed Susan and a fantastic undercard with some great betting opportunities uh, with uh, pools that are guaranteed. I'll get to that in a little bit. But Dean Kepler is going to be helping us uh, with uh, those races. Uh, you might know him now as the contributor to Kep's Corner, a uh, handicapping uh, analyst uh, located uh, in the Pollock Report, available Wednesdays through Sunday. It, it's for you guys out there, the simulcast player that likes to focus on trainer angles and spot plays. Uh, so we're going to be talking with Dean Kepler, who's had a long association with the Daily Racing Forum, and find out about his uh, new book that's come out. He's had a, several handicapping books, including Trainer Angles and Betting on the Kentucky Derby. But he's got a new ebook coming out this summer for the Daily Racing Forum titled Form Reversal, Increasing Profits Using Formulator and Cutting Edge Trainer Stats. And can't we all use a little edge in our handicapping? Well, uh, we're going to be having a little handicapping contest here on Winning Ponies. It's free to all, so just go to winningponies.com. And uh, we're going to ask you to try to pick the top four finishers in order to win. If you come out on top, you win $150 cold cash. And we're going to pay out uh, down through the seventh place, I guess we could say. Second, we're going to give you 75 winning credits for the easy win forms that get you in the winner's circle and a lot of cash in your pockets. Third, we'll get 50 winning credits. Fourth, 25 winning credits. Fifth and sixth, we're going to mail you a Winning Ponies t-shirt, and the closest person to the final time is going to get a really cool Winning Ponies ball cap. 
So don't forget, it's free. Just go to winningponies.com. Get it in by 5 o'clock on Saturday. Hope you did pull down some of those easy win forms last week because uh, we sure did get lucky with some big hits at Gulfstream on May 7th. A 50-cent super high five paid over $12,000. At Mountaineer on Monday, a $1 super returned 6731 uh, on Saturday at Lone Star, a $1 Super Key brought home $3,908. And as you know, we go all over the country, including the Bluegrass State, Churchill Downs, a $1 Super, $1,887. Just a few of the big ones that we've hit with our easy win forms. Okay, we're going to be talking a lot of Preakness here. NBC is set for their Preakness coverage from Pimlico. It's going to be an exciting race with the top three finishers from the Derby going to post. And uh, coverage is going to start on Friday on NBC Sports Network, and it will culminate uh, with the Preakness 4.30 on NBC's main coverage. There's going to be some interesting uh, features. Uh, Stuart Elliott's going to tell the... uh, the story of uh, Fleet Alex, who won the Preakness Stakes and Belmont Stakes 10 years ago, and how owners Cash's King Stable pledged a percentage of the Colts' earnings to be donated. Do you remember this? Alex's Lemonade Stand, a pediatric cancer charity. Seems like yesterday. They're also going to look at the owners of American Pharaoh, the Zayat family, and a profile of Jockey Victor Espinoza. So, again, starts on Friday, NBC Sports Network at 3 o'clock. Then NBC Sports Network at 2.30 is going to cover the Preakness, and then uh, the Preakness Stakes is going to move over 4.30 to the major network, and there's going to be a wrap-up post-Preakness show on NBC Sports Network. So they are covering it. I told you earlier, deep wagering menu is uh, set for Preakness weekend. How do you like this? The Maryland Jockey Club is going to offer betters a guaranteed pool of $1.5 million on Saturday for the late pick four, how about that? One and a half million up for the late pick four during Saturday's program. On Friday, uh, they're going to offer uh, two special 50-cent pick fours and pick fives, each of them with guaranteed pools of a quarter million dollars. Uh, the first one will be races 8 through 11 on Friday. And uh, the second one is going to start with the Black-Eyed Susan, kind of the, the ladies Preakness stakes. So a lot of betting opportunities there. Of course, uh, American Pharaoh, favored winner of the Derby. Should be interesting. He drew the rail, but still favored at four to five. Now, it's only going to be a field of eight. Obviously, the top three uh, scared off a lot of runners that are going to pass and come back uh, for the Belmont stakes. The lines maker at Pimlico has made it American Pharaoh at 45. Dortmund seven to two, firing line at four to one. And uh, Bob Baffert said the draw was not ideal. He's just glad he didn't draw that for the Derby. So uh, from the rail out, we've got American Pharaoh and Dortmund. Those two down on the inside. Then the newly purchased Mister Z, now owned by Calumet Farm. The ever improving Danzig Move, long shot tail of Verve, Bodhisattva, Divining Ride and Gary Stevens loves having firing a line out on the outside in the Preakness. So that's a look at the lineup right there. So, uh, again, they're going to have guarantees for those exotic pools. 
So you're definitely going to want to check it out at Pimlico. Weather report sounds like it's going to be mostly sunny, so uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. We've got an honest track. Uh, looks like uh, California Chrome, of course, is uh, on the other side of the pond. Uh, he has been entered in the July 4th Coral Eclipse Stakes. Uh, not sure that that's going to be exactly where he's going to go. Uh, he is a new market training towards his next start on June 17th at the Prince of Wales Stakes at Royal Ascot. I know that that's what they were zeroing in. What they're saying is that the thinking behind the Coral Eclipse is that uh, from there they will fly with the European horses over to the Arlington Million. So they really are liking California Chrome's uh, shot uh, at grass racing, and he's going to take on some of the best. I won't go through all the names because they're not household names, but they are some of the top grade one performers over in Europe and even one from Japan that he is going to have to face. Good news here, Beholder is back on the track. Uh, You may recall that she was scratched from the vanity stakes back on May 9th because of an illness, but she had a fever, high white blood cell count before the vanity, and Richard Mandela did not say, I'm not taking any chances with this two-time champion. So she is back on the track and in training, scheduled for the $100,000 adoration stakes at Santa Anita. Now we was hoping to announce that uh, tomorrow you're going to get to see California Chrome's full sister go to post, but she was scratched from her debut. This one trained by Steve Sherman, Art's son, says she got sick, going to have to scratch her. Just a little virus, but just enough to set him back and cause him to miss the race. So uh, they hope that <clears throat> Hope's Love, who was going to be the 8-5 to five morning line favorite, uh, will get back on track. It certainly will be interesting. It's nice to know that there's a full cis to California Chrome out there. So uh, let's take a look now at uh, some of the races that we handicapped uh, last week with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Form. Bit of an upset, and I really have to admit, my friend Ed Meyer called me out in this one. He said, what were you guys thinking when you passed on Made from Lucky and went to two weeks off? Well, two weeks off, a Pletcher trainee who just shot a 104 in its third career start. It had two wins and a second. Uh, had no excuse at all. The horse had great speed. Matt had seen uh, the, the horse run, and uh, we both really liked And I think a lot of other handicappers like two weeks off. And to be honest with you, um, at the at the top of the lane, the son of Harlan's Holiday looked pretty darn good. But coming fast and furious was made from lucky. And why were we scratching our head after the race? You look close. Made from lucky, and the Rebel Stakes ran second to a horse by the name of American Pharaoh. Then came back, was beaten nine lengths to American Pharaoh in the Arkansas Derby, but Pletcher switched to blinkers for this race. So made from lucky, son from looking at lucky, may well be going on to the Belmont Stakes. Uh, From there, we took a look at the Ruffian, and this one you could have taken either of the Karen McLaughlin horses. The one that got it done was Wedding Toast. If you got to see this race, just a beautifully judged race by Jose Lescano. Uh, Kept the horse back in fourth swept around the field and ended up winning by four lengths over Princess Violet, who had a brief lead before Wedding Toast went flying by, and in the third spot was House Rules. 
Then it was the grade three Bogay at Belmont Park, a mile and a sixteenth. And the winner in here, from flag fall to that's all, the old gray mare still got it. Discreet Mark added to her million-dollar bankroll. She's trained by Christophe Clement. Johnny V was in the saddle. Just went to the front and stayed there. A well-judged ride. Held on by three-quarters of a length over the Irish-bred photo call, making her fourth U.S. start. And in the third spot was Recepta. So that was a look at the Bogay. And then the grade one man of war carrying a $400,000 purse. Twilight Eclipse. So happy that main sequence was not in this race because he was awful tired of looking at main sequences, but all last year in four grade one races consistently, uh, Twilight Eclipse got the job done, stalked the pace, got up by a next, a beautiful ride by Javier Castellano. In the second spot was War Dancer at eight to one, who was well ahead of number two Hyper, the eleven to one shot that Matt Bernier thought was worth a play on your ticket, and I guess at those odds it really was. So that was a look at Belmont. We're going to be taking a closer look at the top races at Pimlico with all those seeded pools. But before we get there, we're going to talk to a man who I can call a friend over the years that we've worked uh, only about uh, 10 yards from each other in the press box here in Cincinnati, and that's Kentucky Derby winning jockey Mike Manganello. So thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neill. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, I gave you a brief look at his bio at the uh, top of the program. It's very well-known name, Mike Manganello, of course, best known to some of you youngsters out there 
as the winning rider aboard Dust Commander. And this year we are celebrating the 45th anniversary of that win. Mike, does it uh, sometimes come back to you like it was yesterday? Uh, it does at this time of the year, always. Well, my question is, as I went back and re- researched your career, of course, there's a lot of other big races that you won, and uh, you really were a, a big name in, in the Kentucky circuit when you raced around here, winning some of the uh, top races at, at Churchill and Keeneland. But uh, how does a kid from Hartford, Connecticut, make his way to the bluegrass? Well, uh, you know, like you said, I started in New England riding, and uh, I was riding for a trainer called Paul, Paul Martino that wanted to come out um, uh, to Ohio at Thistle Downs, and so I worked my way to Thistle Downs for several years, and then eventually worked my way into uh, Kentucky riding at Churchill and Keeneland. And now you showed me a photo. And this was something else that was the rare guys that I believe were in the 1,000 Win Club. And was it you and Art Sherman in that photo? Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, That was back in, hmm, what, 66, somewhere around there at, uh, I believe, Randall Park. Yeah, that was that was a great photo, and you, you you told me during all if we rewind a year ago, California Chrome, that Art Sherman, from everything you'd seen on his interviews and like that, hadn't changed a, a day, and that he was a class act back then as he was with California Chrome. Yes, yes, he was. He he was always a uh, you know laid back kind of writer and and uh, you know just real humble. And uh, you know whenever you talked with him, he you know you you could you could enjoy the conversation with him. Well, um, I, I was thrilled a couple weeks ago when when you and your, your bride Kitty showed up at my art show in Paris, Kentucky, and about uh, an hour later, the Lehman family showed up, and I said, holy cow, what is this, a Dust Commander reunion? And then later in the day, I saw pictures, so you guys actually got to uh, be rejoined again. For those that don't know, Verna Lehman uh, was uh, you, you know connected with Dust Commander and became close friends uh, with Mike. That had to be pretty neat, 45 years later you meet her walking down the street in paris kentucky right and we all wind up going to an unveiling of a, a bronze statue of dust commander and uh, and the rider on him and uh, oh, and the rider on him does, does it look like you uh well kind of <laughs> <laughs> a, a little younger anyhow i mean i saw yeah. another photo of you coming back from dust commander after the, the derby it looked like you were given the peace sign so uh, those those were the years. Well, can you just kind of? It's not every day that people get to listen to and, and talk to somebody that 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 won a Kentucky Derby. I know uh, Victor Espinosa said he felt like the luckiest Mexican that was ever born a week ago. Uh, what's it like when you're turning for home and you actually feel like, hey, I got a horse under me for this last quarter mile? Oh, you got a lot of adrenaline going at that point. You know, I, I really I, uh, coming down a lane. I really felt like I was going to win it. And I knew that if anybody was going to beat me, they'd have to be running awful darn fast because my horse was running fast himself and just drawing away as he went further. Now, um, now prior to that race, that's when you won the bluegrass, right? Yes, nine days earlier I won the bluegrass. Yeah, I noticed. He went two races before. Um, one more race before the bluegrass, but had run twice before the bluegrass in uh, at Keeneland. So that that's uh, that's quite a few times in one short race meet. 
Well, certainly the way that they uh, treat horses like hothouse roses now, that would, that would never happen. Do you think that that grueling schedule may have cost him in the Triple Crown? Well, I don't know that I could really say that. Um, you know, he, he felt fine even after, the, uh, after he won the bluegrass. And then when he ran in the derby, uh, he felt fine pulling up. But uh, the next day, Don noticed some filling in his leg and a little bit of heat. So, uh, he, he, you know, he was a little questioned about whether he wanted to even run in the Preakness. Uh, but he, when did you wind st- up, he did wind up running the Preakness, but uh, pulled up lame. Well, when you say Don, that was Don Combs, a gentleman I've had a chance to meet over the years. He's pretty much of a class act himself. I understand you guys are very much friends. Yeah, nicest guy you ever want to meet. Yeah, absolutely. I got to spend a day with him. He was working for a new farm, and he kind of showed me around. I was taking photos, and uh, Mm -hmm. he he really was a nice guy. Now, um, I believe it was 1979 when you decided to... uh, to call it quits in the saddle uh, shortly after you won the uh, Miller Genuine Draft Cradle Stakes at River Downs. And um, you actually uh, decided to uh, try to apply a trade as a horse trainer. Um, right. How yeah, was that I, I was offered a job with a, um, uh, an owner in Florida that wanted me to train his horses. And I, yeah, I said, well, I'll give it a try. And, um, you know, I did quite well. You know, I won some small stakes and uh, won quite a few races, but I missed the riding part of it. And uh, so back in, in, in 1984, I decided to go back to riding. So uh, you, you did ride for several more years. Uh, I believe uh, you, you rode uh, 2,500 uh, down at Tampa Bay Downs. And uh, yes. since then, you decided to get out of the saddle and watch guys in it. How about that transition and how it's helped you from all your years in the saddle to the fact that you are now the top cop at the racetrack. You're, you're, you're a steward up in the stand watching what goes on out there. Certainly after somebody that's experienced a little bit of everything out on the track, I'm sure, uh, it, it, it's got to make it uh, better for you to be sitting in that seat because you know what you're looking for. Well, yes, I know what I'm looking for, and I experienced it firsthand. So that that kind of helps. You kind of almost know uh, what a rider's thinking when he does something. I mean, you you know, um, it's definitely an asset. Now, I'm sure it's an asset because there were probably things that happened to you in a race that to somebody looked like, geez, this guy really screwed up, whereas you could go back and say, no, you don't understand uh, the, the horse was getting out. The saddle was slipping. Uh, this other this other guy was hollering at me that his his horse was going to come in. So I'm sure it gives you some understanding when the jockeys come up and perhaps tell you the same story. Well, yes, that that's exactly right. Uh, you know, you, you, by experiencing them things yourself, and uh, where someone else hasn't, you could see where uh, actually see where a rider is making a strong effort or just a, just a slight effort. And, and, you know, so, and, and a lot of things are explained that way, like with a horse running out, getting in. Uh, you could see the effort that they're making and, you know, whether they be held at fault or not. Well, Mike, you've, you've seen the sport and what some people would say is, is in it, was in its heyday. I'm sure probably each generation thinks their sport's in the heyday. But what, what changes in general from, from the backstretch to the racetrack have you seen in the sport of racing? Um, well, basically, I think it's basically you know all the same. Just you got a younger crowd as it goes on. You know, uh, the basics are all there. They're the same. But do you think that that trainers 
baby your baby their horses a little bit more when they did back then i mean back then let's face it for a two-year-old to make six starts was no big deal right and and they did that, that they ran the horses more often back then and now they they don't run them as much um uh, whatever theory they have on it it seems to work in this era here but back then uh trainers um you know dealt with having to run more often and, and they they work more on their horse to keep them sound um now um i guess uh, a question that that uh, that i had for you is as far as the conditioning of of horses and the medication of horses uh what's your read on that was it hay oats and water back in the days when you were training and have what about the changes now because i know it's been a big part of the news if over the last decade right well there there's more medication now that uh horsemen use on their horses where back then uh they relied more on um you know just doing good physical uh therapy on their horses and and, and to keep them sound i mean they didn't have all the vets that they have like they do now they it, some of them really couldn't afford them anyways but uh, they just um you know it took care of the horses uh, a lot better back then well, I must say, and a lot of people don't understand this, that our sport is probably the most patrolled sport of any from a medication standpoint and from a visual standpoint. But probably back in some of the days when you were riding, they, uh, they say riders knew where there were dead spots where maybe a camera didn't get anything. Uh, were you ever uh, a victim of any chicanery out there? I've heard about oh, guys yeah, taking guys' feet Well, we always knew where the blind spots were in the race. So if we're... <laughs> you know, uh, do anything we weren't supposed to do, it would be in that area. And what I mean by that is, you know, put pressure on horses on the inside and squeeze them out. You knew the spots you can do it in and get away with it, and then you knew the spots that you could not. <laughs> but pretty much, I think, with all the camera angles we have and the high-tech, uh, that's that's pretty much been eliminated. Yes, pretty much so. I mean, because, you know, they got, they got like you say, cameras all over the place, and, and there's really not very many blind spots. You see everything goes on. Well, we're seeing more and more riders, too, come out of places uh, like uh, uh, Puerto Rico and Panamania where they don't even allow them to ride until they've graduated from the riding school. Uh, we now have the North America Riding Academy, yes. uh, Racing Academy, uh, down in down in Lexington. Uh, do you notice that some of the younger riders come up uh, more polished and with more experience because of these schools? Yes, I do. I always thought that, uh, you know, that, like you say, in South America, they have them schools also. And and the riders that come, come up from there, they're, they're, they could be uh, apprentice riders, and they look well polished. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. I noticed that a guy by uh, Angel Cordero spotted a young John Velasquez down in Puerto Rico and decided to take him under his wing, and they've, they've done awful, awful well together. Um, well, Mike, listen, I, I read something r- recently that uh, you have been uh, one of the choice few selected from Central Kentucky to take part in a an event that I'll just say, real men wear pink. You can straighten me out on the right name about it, but what's it involved, and why are you involved in it, and what does it mean? Well, it's uh, well, twelve twelve of us here in the, in the Lexington area. We've chosen to partner with the American Cancer Society, and we will wear something pink to raise awareness of breast cancer through the months of um, September and October. And um, it's you know after the once the campaign starts, uh, everyone can be able to go onto a website to donate their 
favorite man's profile and 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 donate money uh, to whomever they want. You know. And so I I know you always wear that dapper leather vest a lot when you're on the track. Am I going to start seeing a pink shirt underneath that during the day? Yeah, you more than likely will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for pink stuff. You might, you might look, you look good in, Mike. Well, um, well, what does the future hold? Uh, you're, you're, you, Tim, in my opinion, and people can hear it in your voice. Uh, even though it was 45 years ago since you won the Kentucky Derby, you're young, you're energetic. What does the future hold for Mike Manganello? Well, I'm just going to keep working, uh, you know, with with the races until um, you know I feel like I don't want to do it anymore. But I don't see that in the near future. I don't either, because like I said, you've always got a, a twinkle in your eye. Uh, you got a sprite step, and uh, you, you, you seem certainly younger than uh, your date of birth is on your certificate. Well, I kind of feel that way, at least in my <laughs> head. <laughs> well, good. Well, keep it up, Mike. Like I said, it's been a pleasure to get to know you over the years. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I wish you best of luck with your efforts uh, with uh, you know, uh, Real Men Wear Pink. And I will uh, most probably see you at the races tomorrow. Okay, John. Good talking to you. All right. We've been talking with Kentucky Derby winning jockey Mike Manganello, Dust Commander, 45 years ago. Well, the perhaps the, the biggest race in New York happens tomorrow. Why do I say that? Because should American Pharaoh, Saturday, rather, should American Pharaoh win the Preakness, that makes the Belmont Stakes the biggest race of the year in New York. So Naira will be watching it very close. And we have with us Dean Kepler to break it all down from Pimlico. Thanks so much. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds Bart. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, when we have big races coming up, I always like to hold back and bring in a top handicapper. Right now, bringing in a first-time starter on Winning Ponies, it's Dean 
Kepler. I've been reading him recently on the Pollock Report. Of course, Ray's been on the show many times. And uh, if you are a subscriber to the Pollock Report, you should be. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, you get Kep's Corner, uh, which uh, gives you exclusive uh, uh, analysis for the tracks, New York, Florida, Kentucky. Uh, he, he's designed for the simulcast player that likes trainer angles and spot plays. Um, he's been handicapping thoroughbreds for over 30 years, so he probably started at a very, very young age like me, and is the former director of the Daily Racing Forum Press, and uh, he worked for the uh, Forum. He has created over 45 horse racing titles and authored two handicapping books for the Forum titled Trainer Angles and Betting the Kentucky Derby. I hope he did very well two weeks ago. We're going to mention his new ebook before we wind up here to let you know what's coming out this summer. So with no further ado, let me introduce to you Dean Kepler. Dean, welcome to Winning Ponies. John, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate I'm it. I'm doing good. I'm on the right side of the grass. I'm not in jail. Everything else after that's <laughs> gravy, in my opinion. Well, uh, Dean, I always like to find out we take different paths uh, uh, to our careers in, in racing. Uh, what was your first exposure, and how did you fall in love with the game that uh, you now call your profession? Sure. Um, like so many other guys and gals, um, I started out with my dad, and uh, usually that's the way people go. It's usually a parent or an uncle and aunt that introduced them to a track at a young age. And my father dragged me to Aqueduct in Belmont at, I guess, around the age of five or six. I was just a small kid, and, um, you know, I just loved it basically from jump. And by the time I was eight years old, I was I was reading the racing form, and we were doing, uh, you know, thoroughbred harness double headers. We'd frequently go out to Aqueduct and Belmont and then go out to Yonkers and the old Roosevelt Raceway out in Long Island, which is no longer there. And we'd do a double header trip there and occasionally take a trip down the Garden State Parkway to Monmouth Park and Atlantic City Racetrack. And, uh, you know, I fell, I fell in, the, in love with the game decades ago, and it's, uh, it's just grown since then. Now, um, how did you get your foot in the door at the Daily Racing Forum? It was, uh, you know, it was just one of those things, um, you know, I, I always wanted to be in racing. Um, in fact, uh, I, I probably started off sending my resume to uh, Steve and Chris when you know, I just started in college, uh, just sending them direct notes, telling them I wanted to work there. I wasn't really applying for any jobs, and um, it just happened to work that I was at one job, and uh, that was falling apart, and they were having some layoffs, and I saw the ad for the form. I had been in the publishing industry for most of my life. I applied, you know, um, got an interview, um, and I was hired. So it was basically a one in a million chance. I know there was a lot of guys that were qualified, a lot of great handicappers out there, but fortunately I had the opportunity to be with the forum for about eight years. So it was truly, uh, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. Now, how long ago was it uh, that you authored Betting the Kentucky Derby, and is the book dated, or do you feel like the theories you put in there still stand today? You know, it, the, the book was quite some time ago, but there's still some strong angles in there, you know, particularly some prep races, um, some analysis about uh, post-position. You know, there's stuff that's some outdated, but there's still some good information in there, especially for someone that's, uh, you know, a fledgling to the game. Um, they only play a couple times a year. They jump in on big race race days, and um, you know, and they they like to see some action on the derby. And it's you know, it's got some good angles and stuff in there. And I would definitely recommend it to a person that that was just uh, starting out. 
Now, uh, again, trainer angles, not sure when that was written. We've got a a lot of new players uh, in the game now. Is there any chance of a sequel to that? Yes. Uh, in fact, I have a ebook coming out uh, for DRF this summer. It's called Form Reversal, Increasing Profits Using Formulator and Cutting Edge Trainer Stats. Is the title. It's a little long there, but it's kind of uh, uh, my second uh, book for Formulator, the first being Trainer Angles. And Trainer Angles was basically the original book for Formulator, which a lot of people don't know. Um, it was kind of introducing the program um, it went through, you know, the basics of the program, how important trainer stats in, and all the all the facets and angles that are part of the the formulator program. And the second book, and now it just kind of now that there's more people, I think, using formulator than there was when I first originally uh, published the book. Um, it'll probably get a lot more interest, and in it you know really is an incredible piece of software, and it's really become a big part of my uh, my you know, my whole handicapping process. Well, I'm not sure how long ago you were using it, but I know back in 2006 you cashed a $91,000 pick six ticket at Santa Anita. That had to help pay some fuel bills at home. Yes, it actually was my biggest score to date, and um, it's actually a, a real quick story I could tell you about that. It was, you know, it was just when I had started playing online, and it was my first ADW. It was my first day I actually opened the account up, um, which is kind of hard to believe. And I had deposited $200 into the account that same morning. I had never used a platform before, and that's where the ticket had come from. And it was on Easter Sunday, and the only reason I had, planned, I had actually played is because we had some family plans that uh, kind of got messed up towards the afternoon. I had no intentions of playing that day, but... Um, fortunately, for a few uh, family family related squabbles over dinner, I was able to put the ticket in on an account that I just opened up. So it was kind of strange how that all went down. <laughs> oh, that beats any basket of chocolate eggs for sure. We're talking <laughs> with, with with Dean Kepler. Well, for somebody that wrote a book on the Kentucky Derby, you got to know that he follows the Triple Crown Trail. So uh, I'm going to kind of work backwards here with you, Dean. And uh, take a look at the Express Bet Preakness. Uh, the horses are going to be going a shorter distance, a mile and three sixteenths. And it really doesn't matter who you talk to or how you feel personally. Let's face it, the main players are the ones to beat in here. Sure. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the top three coming out of the Kentucky Derby seem to lay over this field. Um, I looked long and hard trying to make a case for some of the new shooters, but I just they just looked to me to be too slow on paper. And uh, I'd be very shocked if it was um, someone besides American Pharoah, Dortmund, or, or Firing Line in this race. Well, if anything I think could affect this outcome, though the field is small enough, was the post-position draw. I understand that Baffert wasn't exactly doing backflips when American Pharaoh drew the rail and outside of him the even more speedy Dortmund. Um, that could well play into it, and they say Gary Stevens was uh, pleased as plump getting firing line on the outside because now he'll have the turn to kind of eyeball where everybody is and, and get himself a nice spot. Sure, and you know the first thing I did was go and look up um... – the post position stats for the Preakness and post one, surprisingly at Preakness, you would think in a route race would be very productive, but it's actually only uh, one twice since I believe 1955. And I think Tabasco cat in 1994 was the last time that, uh, that post is won. So 
it's basically won twice in uh, almost the last 60 years. So not saying you can't win from post one, but it certainly uh, gives you pause for thought there. And uh, with the two Baffert horses lined up together, it's you know, really going to be a jockey's race. It'll be interesting how it plays out, whether Victor Espinoza uh, shoots American Farrell to the lead, whether Dortmund on the outside takes the lead like he did in the Derby, and whether or not Gary Stevens will get a good, tra- a good tracking trip on the outside with firing line. So I, I certainly think it's going to be uh, more of a jockey race uh, than we've previously seen in the Derby. You know, my friend Marty McGee wrote an interesting story uh, in, in the form today in the fact that uh, since uh, Ballyake won the 1960 Preakness after finishing second in the Derby, only two Derby runners-up have returned to win the Preakness, Summer Squall and Prairie Bayou. And uh, so there were 39 of them who did it and did not come home in the top spot. That doesn't mean that can't change. Uh, but uh, even the third-place finishers in the Derby have a better record uh, than, than the runners-up. And uh, meanwhile, the Derby winners have crossed the finish line first in the Preakness 21 times during that same period. So just kind of an interesting stat because, but you know, stats are made to be broken. As you recall, in 140 years, Nobody wearing the number 18 had ever won the Kentucky Derby, and American Pharoah put that to sleep. Sure. I mean, I was uh, strongly against Big Brown when he was in post-20, and, uh, you know, he kind of made me uh, eat crow that year. He, you know, he got a perfect trip and won easy. So, you know, the, the post position in the Derby is kind of, it's kind of gone out, you know, by the wayside as far as having some bad posts, with the exception of maybe post one. You know, I guess you can win from anywhere now. But, uh, you know, it certainly turns out to be a jockey's race in here. And I was on um, my selection of the Derby was Dortmund, and I actually thought turning for home he, he was going to be a winner. I was actually shocked that he uh, dropped back the way he did. I thought he had reasonable fractions, uh, and I was kind of disappointed. You know, I heard some people saying that the rail was bad day, that day those that are into track bias, but I'm, I'm not, you know, believing that. I just, just think that he just got, he just got tired and he got out finished, but, um, I'm certainly going to give him another shot coming back in the Preakness. Uh, I think he's got the uh, versatility to either take the lead or set off, you know, he could actually close or actually stalk the pace. He, he's that type of horse. He's a big horse that you could do a lot of things with. And I think he's, he's kind of drawn, I think he's kind of drawn well for that. And uh, it gives, is uh, Jockey Garcia a lot of options? So I'm going to go back to Dortmund here, even though he disappointed in the Derby. Well, well, Dean Kepler, I'm kind of uh, in step with you on on a, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is the shorter distance could possibly, you know, play into his hand. And uh, let's face it, American Pharaoh, while he was uh, somewhat wide on on both turns and gave more ground to the horses that he beat. Uh, Victor Espinosa really had to go to work on him, and I don't know if he'd ever had such a strenuous race, and I just have to wonder, coming back in two weeks, if it took a little edge off American Pharaoh, and if that, the, the distance in the post could play into Dortmund's hand. Yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, he actually really did have to work hard, and, and as you know, in all his other previous races, he had won rather easily, but he was under a heavy drive there for a while, and um, what was interesting about the, about the race, I thought, too, was that Gary Stevens was smart enough to keep firing line somewhat in the middle of the track, away from, away from America Farrell. He didn't want to get in another dogfight with him. So uh, Gary did just about everything right and still came up short. And um, the reason I'm against firing line in this spot is I just think, think he's going to be an underlay, and I think Dortmund's going to be an overlay in this spot. I think there's going to be a lot of 
wagering action towards firing line. Um, there's been a lot of talk um, in the media about how well he's doing, how he's hasn't has hasn't had a strenuous campaign like some of the other horses. I, I actually think that Dortmund's going to wind up being the better price over firing line. Well, and quite frankly, as my pen works, I've already put a line through Mr. Z, Tale of Verve, and Bodhisattva, which leaves a chance for Divining Ride, Morning Line 12 to 1, or Danzig Moon, uh, 15 to 1, a horse who I've seen, he's absolutely gorgeous, and he trained great up to the Preakness, that they may be at the bottom of your try-in here if for some reason you're right about firing line. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like the uh, the race that Divining Rod had in the Lexington, which I, I you know, which I thought was good. But um, the one knock I have against him is is the kind of horse that has to be involved early too, and I'm not sure how he's going to um, fare with a, as far as a pace setup goes. And Danzig Moon is a horse I, you know, I like to like too. He's he trained incredibly well up to the Kentucky Derby. Um, he makes a great appearance on the track. From what I understand, he looks great too. He sounds, seems to have bounced. Back rate for Mark Casey, but he's the kind of horse I just, you know, as far as numbers, he needs to prove to me he hasn't he hasn't hit a hundred buyer yet. I think his his top buyer is a ninety four or ninety five, and I I just think he's a little bit too slow and behind these horses. I just don't think he's as good as the as the top three that we see in here. So maybe for underneath, but you know, I wish I had something more creative. But um, you know, I, I'm probably going to key Dortmund on top and. Perhaps try to get somebody else uh, in the place and show spot that's not the obvious, too, and I think you can get uh, some good value there if, if that's the case. With only eight horses, it's going to be tough. I wish more went. I, I see uh, Pletcher decided to totally get out of town and uh, either give his horses a rest or aim for the Belmont. All I can say is, uh, hey, I'd love to see a Triple Crown winner, but in a year where there's so much talent, I, I got to believe that that it's not going to happen, and I'm not saying that American Pharaoh is going to get upset on Saturday. But by the time he shows up at Belmont, you're going to see some more fresh faces, and uh, you know, just like the people of California Chrome uh, whined about it last year. Hey, that's the way it rolls. You know, you get horses coming out of the Peter Pan, you get horses uh, that have had five weeks race since the Derby, and this is a very deep, talented group of three-year-olds. Yeah, you would have to think Pletcher probably has, uh, at the minimum, three horses ready to go in the Belmont Stakes. So, uh, you know, he'll be firing everything he has from his barn if uh, American Pharaoh does win. And, you know, he's he's certainly going to have to earn it to be a Triple Crown champion this year. I think this is a very strong uh, crop of three-year-olds. Right. Well, if you want your name along the uh, side of uh, Seattle Slough and Secretariat and Affirmed, uh, you've got to be an iron horse. I think it would be great if American Pharaoh is, but he certainly has his work cut out for him. Well, uh, we're talking with longtime handicapper and author Dean Kepler. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, some big money on the line tomorrow uh, at Preakness. They're seeding the pools, and the Black-Eyed Susan and the Pimlico Special are part of them. So going to take a little bit of a break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll free at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Dean Kepler has been capping for over 30 years. Uh, he's uh, done recent work where I, where I caught up with him on the Pollock Report, and you can get it again. That is free. It's called Kep's Corner, uh, and he has a new ebook coming out that we're going to mention again uh, before we uh, uh, cut out for this week uh, so you can kind of put it on your list of things to look for later in the season. Well, coming up, I guess you could call it the girls' version of the Preakness Stakes. It's the black-eyed Susan Stakes. Uh, they're going to be going a mile and an eighth. And let's face it, there's one three-year-old filly with a bullet on her back. She passed the Kentucky Oaks to be here. And that is a Bob Baffert-trained daughter of Tell the Cat by the name of Luminance. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, John, it's... If you look at this race on paper, you know, you try to figure uh, where their speed is, and there's, there's really not much. And Luminance looks like the horse that's going to be on the lead at uh, probably uh, six to five or even the money in here. You know, coming up to the Derby, you go out there in the morning, and you know how many good horses are on the grounds. And back on April 18th, 57 horses worked four furlongs, and Luminance worked the best. But still, in Bob Baffert's eyes, he felt like, you know, I just don't think she's ready for the Oaks distance. Let me fine-tune her a little bit more. Then she comes back a couple days after the Derby. I believe it was a week after the Derby on May 9th. And is the best of 23 at five furlongs. I just really think he did the right thing by passing the Oaks and, and, and pointing her towards this race. I, I thought it was really a sharp thing to do. And I, without a doubt, she's the one to beat, in my opinion. Sure. You know, you know, the one thing that, one interesting point that uh, came to mind when I saw this race is something I took a special note of on Derby Date was the fact that uh, a lot of the Bob Baffert's horses, and a couple of them were short price, did not run very well on the undercard, one being Bayern, uh, the other one being Cat Burglar, who I believe got wound up second, um, and I think the other one was Gimme the Loot. It was, you know, leading up to the Derby itself, uh, a lot of the horses on the undercard did not do well. They were disappointing. So perhaps that's going to translate over to Pimlico. But if you look at Bab Baffert's uh, record, at just in general at Pimlico, he clicks, uh, I believe, 47 or 48% with all his starters the last five years. So it's certainly uh, a lot different than, uh, you know, Churchill Downs. And, you know, I think, you know, he is the horse to beat here. And, the thing is, uh, a horse that I like at a price that possibly could upset uh, Luminance is number nine, King Pauline, who's 15-1 to 1 on the morning line, uh, trained by Dale Romans, 
who reaches out to uh, top jock Javier Castellano here. Um, I actually liked this horse's last race uh, down at Keeneland. It was a sprint race. Um, the thing about uh, the thing about this horse is he really galloped out well past that, and it looked like he was set up well to go to stretch out this afternoon. I like Dale Romans. He, he has decent numbers with second off the bench runners. Um, this horse was, you know, no doubt he's light on buyers. He's going to have to step it up in here. But I, I just got a feeling that we haven't seen the best of him. He's a this filly is by pulpit. Uh, like I said, he stretches back out today. And he has a good prep, and uh, he's certainly going to be a nice price in here. Well, my, if you want to call it a price horse, it's 6-1 to one in the morning line, it is a horse by the name of Ah Chocolate, uh, a daughter candy ride that has not won a stake yet. It's only had two starts, but it jumped up both times, uh, shows a nice off-the-pace running style. Should there be pace up there with, uh, let's say, uh, Divine Ada and, and Luminance, um, and, and I would love the trainer, Neil Howard. As you know, he's won the Preakness with Summer Squall quite a few years back. But uh, came out of a maiden special rate and then went right into a $59,000 allowance at Keeneland at a mile and a 16th. And uh, the, the horse, uh, visually, uh, the way it cleared the field, Brian Hernandez won with a ton of horse underneath it. Uh, Candy Ride's one of my favorite new hot sires. I, I kind of like Ah Chocolate, again, Underneath, I mean, I'm going to key luminance on top. I, I re- respect your long shot. That's going to be my long shot. I think uh, the other two that are, are merit consideration are include Betty, who I believe Tom Proctor is just throwing out the Kentucky Oaks because the horse was not only blocked but steadied for a good portion of the race. And the inside horse that Johnny V's picking up, um, second time blinkers, Danessa Deluxe. You give either of those guys a short to, uh, shot to hit your uh, trifecta ticket? Yeah, especially, you know, the one horse you mentioned, uh, the Nesta Deluxe. I mean, she's, if you look at her running lines the last, uh, last couple races, uh, race before she, you know, she was up against Take, take Charge Brandy. Um, her last race, Bird on the Wire, who I actually liked in Oaks, was very disappointed in her effort there. Uh, she was kind of washed up. Uh, washed out going into the gate, so I think she kind of lost her race before she even she even had an opportunity there. She made like a middle move and flattened out. So he's been certain she's been certainly um, up against some good company, and um, you know I definitely give her a chance today uh, with uh, with with Johnny V taking over the irons. Um, I believe he's, she he actually had one race with her last time, so he got to know her in there. Um, she draws well. And she should be able to work out a trip. And um, and your other your other selection, Ah Chocolate too. You know she's two for two. Um, she'll certainly have to step up a bit too. But you know there's nothing you know nothing wrong with going against a horse that's been undefeated. So um, she looks to go three for three. All right, I hate to give you the fullest field here with only two minutes left. But the Pimlico Special, a great race. It's now a Grade Three. Sad to say, uh, Tapature, who certainly had an outstanding season last year, has yet to return even close to his form where he won over $1.2 million. Breaking from the outside post in this uh, Preakness distance race for older horses is commissioner, uh, but I've got all kinds of magic marker uh, marks all over this. Uh, Commissioner Encryption is going to be in there. I ran against him the last time. Uh, Albano, Larry Jones, and uh, Kerwin Clark, uh, who, of course, uh, uh, fared well in the Oaks, are going to be in here with a speed ball. Real kind of quick, how do you see this 
10 horse. Yeah, the horse, I, the horse I really do like in here, and it's probably one of my, my uh, better plays of the day, is number nine, Cat Burglar, uh, for Bod Baffert in here. I, he, I thought he ran extremely well. He really had no chance. He got caught up in uh, some crazy fractions down at Churchill when 23-1 uh, to 1 long shot, Agent Donoso came by and swept the field. Um, the spiral that he, he had the eye-catching four furlong bullet work on May 11th down at Churchill. Like I said, he's making his second start for top connections here. I, I think he's uh, got the versatility to sit right off the pace here. and I just think he's going to see a, a lot better performance uh, than he did in that runner-up uh, effort down at, at Churchill. And I think he's, he's, uh, he's really ready for a big effort in here. And uh, At 5-1 to one morning line with Victor Espinosa, he's, he's my top pick in there. All right. Well, I want to thank Dean Kepler for his time and looking at the Pimlico races with us. Remember, there's going to be some early post time, so check it out so you don't show up to the track late. Uh, one more time, uh, we've got a new ebook coming out this summer for the Daily Racing Forum. When might that be accessible to our listeners? Hopefully, I'm thinking um, at least before the summer ends. Uh, I was told this summer, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping by Labor Day. But it, once again, it's called Form Reversal increasing profits using formulator and cutting edge trainer stats and it's uh for for people that like to use the the software program it's i think it's really valuable and um i wouldn't handicap without it now so i would really suggest using formulator all right i want to thank dean kepler for being with us on winning ponies i also want to thank kentucky winning rider mike manganello don't forget we've got a contest going on go on winningponies.com it's free you can pull down cash or points for the easy win forms i'm john Engelhart, overlooking a manicured turf course past the ohio river to the hills of kentucky remember when you go to the races bet with your head not over it thanks for listening to winning ponies with john Engelhart. we know the information from today's show will help you at the next post Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.